As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. To the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, my good friend Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, how you doing? I'm good. It's Christmas. We made I it. I know. It's a special edition of the Athletic Football Show, Christmas Eve edition. So we're coming to you on Christmas Eve. We're going to be doing our normal Thursday show, maybe a bit abbreviated and a little bit of a different format today. We're just going to go through all the games of the week. It's week 16. So this is just playoff implications left and right. We're going to go through some three games at the top that have significant playoff implications, significant weight, and then get to some more, you know, make or break games, make or break situations among teams that don't necessarily have big games this week. They're not good matchups, but they're important matchups. So let's just get started with those three games of the week and let us start with the Sunday night game. What I think has a real shootout potential and has caused me some fantasy anxiety because I have Ryan Tannehill and Lamar Jackson, the Titans and the Packers, a matchup between the two best offenses, according to a lot of metrics in the NFL. I don't think a lot of people would have guessed that, that in week 16, we would have Ryan Tannehill and Aaron Rodgers as arguably the two most efficient quarterbacks in football. And I think the fact that they are is very interesting. This is a super fun matchup and it's a super weird matchup because these are two teams that would, you know, they play each other what once every eight years I mean they never play each other it's a super weird matchup but it is sneaky fun and I think we're going to learn a lot about the Packers the Packers defense I think we're going to learn about um, a lot about both of these quarterbacks and just kind of where these offenses are at heading into the playoffs and the Packers are in they have a ton to play for in terms of the number one overall seed they don't want to get caught by the Saints now but the Titans really need to play their way in so I'm really excited for this super random matchup because this is the time of year where we're used to getting you know Titans Jags and we're going to get all those division matchups next week but now we get a super sneaky fun weird interconference game it would be hard for the Titans to miss the playoffs right yes because they beat Baltimore they would have to lose out to miss the playoffs and they have the Texans in week 17 correct yeah I mean it it would be tough for them I mean there's certainly a path that they don't make it but if they win I mean they they can clinch the AFC South this week so it's very likely that they get in but this if they win this game, it goes a long way to not just clinching a playoff berth, but actually clinching the division, which comes with a home playoff game. 
So both of these quarterbacks have been incredible recently. And with Rodgers, that's not a surprise. You know, he's an MVP candidate. He's been one of the best players in the league this year. We all know that. With Tannehill, the arc of his season has been a little bit different. Obviously, they came out of the gates red hot. And there was a lot of talk about, man, like the regression we thought was coming for this offense just didn't happen. They had a slight dip in the middle of the season. I think all of us watched that Colts game on Thursday night. You know, they played against the Bears. They had a couple games against the Steelers. I think they also is another example. They weren't playing their best offensive football. Since that Colts game on that Thursday night, pretty much just since the Ravens game, the second half of that Ravens game, Tannehill has been on fire. He's completing 70% of his passes. He's averaging, I believe, over nine yards per attempt while averaging 8.1 air yards per attempt. So there, it's a high degree of difficulty and they're making it happen. In my opinion, if you look at a lot of the numbers over the second half of the season, they're really telling about how the structures of NFL offenses help their quarterbacks in the modern league. The guys at the top right now over the second half of the year in EPA per play among quarterbacks, Tannehill, Rodgers, Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Phillip Rivers, Deshaun Watson, Tom Brady, Kirk Cousins in that order. I think that list is extremely telling. It's a lot of the best, most talented, transcendent quarterbacks in the league. Mahomes, Josh Allen is even a part of that now, even though he plays in a well-constructed offense, Deshaun Watson. And then it's guys that play in some version of the Kubiak-Shanahan play-action offense. And I think that we've known this forever, that that system props up quarterbacks better than any other. But I think this year is maybe the best example we've ever seen of how it does it at different levels. With Tannehill, it's turned him into one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league. With Rodgers, it's made him an MVP candidate again. With Baker Mayfield, it's taken him from a guy who didn't look like he could play in the NFL last year to one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the entire league. And I think that looking at the structure of that type of offense gives quarterbacks this game and this season has shined a lot of light on exactly what it can do and the benefits it can provide you. The one guy that like jumps out to me is like, this guy shouldn't be on this list. It's the guy who actually plays in a Kubiak offense. It's Kirk Cousins. Exactly. But we've known forever that that's what he needs. And that's the type of offense that he would thrive in. I mean, his best years are playing for Kyle Shanahan in Washington. So it's not surprising, but he's the one guy that I'm like, "Hmm, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, really interesting the way that these guys have been able to been coached into these schemes. And with the Titans, it's just amplified because you have a quarterback who is thriving in it, who's been remarkably accurate. He's physically gifted and tough and talented and he's able to run and throw or he's able to throw on the move and then you throw like a generational running back in there and Ryan Tannehill doesn't get I think the credit that he probably deserves because he is playing with potentially the the guy who's going to win that and the NFL rushing title for the second year in a row in in Derrick Henry but he absolutely deserves it I know probably I guess maybe this was the most pro Ryan Tannehill podcast probably out there back in early October but he's back in that mix again and I wouldn't put him in the MVP conversation I'm 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 not there I don't think he's really ever deserved to be there this year but in terms of like guys that you would want playing quarterback for you this week I mean I'm not sure if there's anybody else I'd rather have other than you know, Patrick Mahomes in a in a game against Aaron Rodgers. I just trust the structure of the offense and what it's been able to give them. And I think that it's not an accident that Matt LaFleur is the person who brought this offense to Tennessee. Yeah. And he put the bones of it in there. And then Arthur Smith takes over after LaFleur leaves after a year. I think that's a really good way to look at this because 
it's not as simple as they run the same offense because they don't. It's you take the basic structure and skeleton of the offense and then you filter your personnel through that structure. If you look at the Titans versus the Packers right now, the offense has a lot of differences. The Titans use a ton of downhill power running plays more than they did last year and more than they even did early this year. It's kind of similar to what the Niners did last year where they folded in a lot more gap running plays into their offense as the season went along as a counter to what they had been doing early. The Titans are doing a lot of that. You see a lot of their running game and the downhill aspects of it and then vertical shots off of that and plays down the field. The Packers offense, their version of this offense is much more horizontal. You have guys getting out onto the perimeter, whether it's through jet motion or some of the RPOs they use with Rodgers or some of the ways they use the backs. So even though this there are similarities to it and the overall philosophy of it, tying the run and the pass together is the same, they're putting their different flavor and different spin on it. And I think that's what you've seen as this basic offensive structure has taken over the league. If you can use the principles of it as the baseline of what you want to do offensively, and filter your personnel through it and put those guys into the best positions to succeed, that's when you see this offense work. And I think these are two perfect examples of that. So the other thing that I just can't stop thinking about when I'm thinking about this matchup is I have a lot of questions about both of these defenses. Sure, and I as especially you have a lot of questions about the Packers run defense. So when you look at these two defenses, knowing that they're going to be playing two very efficient offenses, two quarterbacks who are playing out of their mind, which defense do you think is better set up to have success this weekend. I think it's the Packers. And I don't know why I keep going to that. I just think that they're more talented on that side of the ball. They have better players up front. You know, overall, I think they do. You know, the, the Titans pass rush has just been absolutely non-existent the entire season. And that's why I, I've maybe holding out to this too long. I still just trust the Packers to make one or two more plays up front over the course of a game than I do the Titans right now. And when your defense is playing as poorly as these two defenses have in stretches this year, it's the one, two, three splash plays you can make that really can make the difference for you. And I just trust the Packers to make those more than I trust the Titans to at this point. I'm still just really scared about the Packers run defense. And I can't oh, stop I think thinking about that. I think they'll that. get run over. It's, I, it's, it's more to me about, are they like going to have the a big enough... under there for Henry? Like 205? And this is the one of the questions I'm asking myself with the Tannehill fantasy thing is, what is the game flow going to look like? If they can just run the ball the entire game and use that to keep up, I think the Packers are going to score at will. And if the Packers score at will, can the Titans run the ball to keep pace? That's the biggest question here. Are they going to be able to be close enough? And is the overall flow of the game going to be such that they can run the ball and still score a lot of points? That's the biggest question to me. I think this could be a 42-41 type of affair. And if you're doing that, it's going to be really hard to not put Ryan Tannehill into your fantasy lineup. Yeah, if you look at the over-under on this game, it's at 56, which is the highest in the league this week. And that doesn't surprise me at all. I think we could have a lot of points. The one thing I'll say before we move on from this game, unless you have anything else to say about it, I've been encouraged recently as the Titans have gotten some of their receiving personnel back, like Johnny Smith, about what their drop back and quick game looks like when Tannehill isn't using play action. So if you look at the numbers, I think since week nine, that stretch since the Ravens game where he's been playing better, he's averaged seven and a half yards per attempt without play action compared to, I think, you know, something over like nine or ten with so there's still a gap but he's been much better without it and I think you see that he's been accurate he's delivering the ball quickly there was a throw he had to Johnny Smith last week where Smith was going up the seam and had was a back shoulder throw he had to elevate for getting players back that can do that kind of stuff 
is helpful. It's <laughs> a silly thing to say, but they do have so much receiving talent and they're able to just get those guys the ball in space and let them work. And it's just a really great and beautiful convergence of the offense that Arthur Smith has built, Ryan Tannehill delivering the ball on time and to the right spaces and their guys being able to make plays with the ball in their hand. AJ Brown, John U. Smith, Derrick Henry, it doesn't matter who those guys are. They have Corey the playmakers. Corey Davis is playing out of his mind. And he's awesome. He's been great. They The touchdown to Corey Davis last week, and again, just bring it all together, was the same kind of idea that the Packers threw the touchdown to Robert Tanyan on in that Sunday night game against the Bears. It's that deep over route where they break back to the corner. So it's that same idea. And it's just, it's really funny. It's all of these like double moves that mirror each other. And all these offenses have similarities. And we're going to see a lot of that on Sunday night. It's very, it's very similar. There's a lot of give and take with a lot of these offensive systems. And I think that that's not an accident that they're successful. The more we talk about these mat, all of these like it matchups within this game, it makes me want to pick the Titans. But there's just something in me that would not, if I were betting, I would not bet against Aaron Rodgers. No, That's I mean, I they're playing so well. I mean, they had a little bit of a blip last week. I think that pass protection was an issue against Carolina, but Carolina's front overall is much better than whatever the Titans are trotting out there. I mean, Brian Burns in that group is much better than the Titans front four and what they're able to do getting after the quarterback right now. All right. Let's get to the Seahawks and the Rams. Another huge game, especially when you're looking at the NFC West standings and who's going to end up winning that division. I think this is a nice game to look at because the first matchup between these teams, in my opinion, was kind of an inflection point for this Seahawks season. It happened, I believe, in week nine. And if you look at the numbers for Russell Wilson before that game and since that game, it's a drastic drop off. He's been 24th in EPA per play among quarterbacks since that game against the Rams. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the league over the first half of the season. I think some of that is just a general fall off, but I also think some of that is teams taking things that the Rams and Vikings a couple weeks earlier did and trying to implement them into their game plans. If you're looking at a lot of the ways the Rams like to play anyway, it's a ton of too high. It's a ton of taking away resources from the run defense in order to not allow deep passes and playing against a team like the Seahawks that was throwing the ball a ton on early downs in the first half of the year. It was a really good solution for the Russell Wilson problem. And that solution has persisted with a lot of the defenses that the Seahawks have had to play against since. And I'm not sure watching the Seahawks over the last few weeks that they have found an answer to that schematic approach that defenses are taking against them. Yeah, I mean, it was week 10, that that last game they played on November 15th. And I mean, they've won four of the five games since they lost their first meeting against the Rams. But they haven't been convincing in any of those games. I mean, they squeaked by Washington last week. You know, they had a hard time getting past Philadelphia. You know, and obviously they blew out the Jets. And I would say everybody blows out the Jets except for the Rams, which... I don't know how much we need to get into exactly what happened last week. I know you and uh, Nate talked a lot about that on Sunday night. I'm not super worried about that. That's just a strange game yeah, where, I mean, so, it was so weird, but if there's another quarter in that game, the Rams win by 10. Yeah. And it was so much self-inflicted penalties exactly. and all of that sort of stuff. But, but you're absolutely right that the, the Seahawks offense, the Russell Wilson MVP thing, it really died that game against the Rams back in mid November. And since then outside of that Jets game, they haven't been scoring a ton of points. Nothing has seemed easy for them anymore. Those, um, you know, those big chunk plays that they just seem to be ripping off like 
three or four times a quarter in the first half of the season. All of that is just not really here. And there's some really interesting kind of, you know, offensive defensive matchups that I'm looking forward to in this game. Obviously, the Jalen Ramsey DK Metcalf one jumps out because uh, Jalen Ramsey won that week one. Ram, uh, DK only had two catches for 28 yards in the first matchup. Um, I think that defense, the Rams defense is going to be super pissed off and embarrassed after what happened yes, last are. weekend. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, I would bet on Brandon Staley and that crew coming up with some really kind of interesting juiced up stuff for this week. It's just, it's, it's just a game that matters. And for some reason, the Rams just play their best against Seattle they tend to play their worst against 40, the 49ers. It just makes the NFC West this is really weird, wildly competitive division. But I guess I would give the Rams the edge in this game if I were going to pick it. If I were, you know, betting, I'll leave the picks to my daughter. She's much better at picking. Games She's red hot than right I am. now. She's crushing She's, it. You got to she... take her to Vegas. It seems like a terrible idea. But so, <laughs> someday, well, sports betting is legal here in Colorado. So, oh well, um, then never mind. You're fine. She can just get on my husband's phone and, <laughs> and spend a bunch of his money. It'll be great. Seems like so, a really s- smart parenting decision. But you bringing up the fact that the Rams play well against Seattle, that doesn't feel like an accident to me. Because a lot of the stuff that Sean McVay built into that offense over the last few years is a direct response to the way the Seahawks and in turn everyone else in the NFL because of the Seahawks' success had been playing defense over the last decade. A lot of the stuff built into the Rams approach, whether it's those deep crossing routes, you know, that kind of idea is designed to hurt single high coverages that the Seahawks majored in. So that's not surprising to me at all that they've given the Seahawks trouble since McVay had gotten there. On the other side of the ball, I think that the Rams defense is still set up to give the Seahawks problems because everyone has followed that blueprint so far over the last two months. And that blueprint is you play too high coverage, You have a lot of guys outside the numbers too high and to my untrained eye, some cloud cover three and things like that, where you're really, again, getting a lot of depth, allowing them, not allowing them to take shots down the field. And the Seahawks just struggle to push the ball either down the middle of the field or to attack teams underneath. And I feel like this game, if the Rams play the same sort of style they did the last time these two teams played, it feels like the Seahawks are going to have to win this game by running the ball. Well, the Rams were daring them to run the ball the last time. And the Seahawks just weren't doing it, and the passing game wasn't working. Their running game has been, I think, 11th in EPA per play during this rough Russell Wilson stretch. And I just feel like that's something and an element of their offense they're going to need to tap into if teams are going to continue playing this way against them. All right, let's get to our third game here. Another big one in the AFC playoff picture, the Steelers and the Colts. And my number one question with this game, we talked about this a little bit with Zach Kiefer and Stephen Holder when they were on the show a couple weeks ago. The Colts have a fascinating distribution of stats when you look at their offense. If you look at Football Outsiders DVOA, the Colts have played the worst schedule of NFL defenses this year. Dead last 32nd. The Colts are first in variance, which means they have the most similar performance week to week of any team in the league. So the Colts have been the same offense every week. And they played the worst defenses. And when you look at that and the way that's manifested in their schedule, they played bad against good defenses and good against bad defenses. So I think this is a really important test to see where the Colts are headed into the playoffs if they can play well against a Pittsburgh defense that, while banged up, is still one of the better groups in the entire league. So I'd say the good news for the Colts 
in this matchup. If you're looking at, we're going to play the best defense that we've faced all year. I'm looking through their schedule and yeah, it's, it hasn't been great. I mean, the bears and the Ravens, that's it. Those are the good defenses yeah. that they've played against. Yeah. And then Rivers played bad against the Browns and he had that rough game against the Titans, but neither of those are good defenses. Yeah. I mean, the Browns have a good, have a really good defensive line and a good pass rush. They, they lost to them in uh, early October, but and Anthony Costanzo didn't play in that game, which is something to take into consideration. Yes. Raven Clark was playing and Miles Garrett had a big day. I will say the one good, the good news here is like, yes, you are going to be playing the best defense that you faced probably all year. The good news is, is you're not going to have to score a ton of points because it's not like Ben Roethlisberger and that crew, whatever it is that they're trotting out there on offense right now in Pittsburgh is going to be putting up 45 points. So I think that's a little, that's maybe the the silver lining here is that 21 points, maybe 18 points might be good enough <laughs> um, against whatever the Steelers are doing right now, unless all of a sudden they, you know, Ben Roethlisberger realizes they find some new arm strength or mobility or size, something. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what they can do to fix that offense at this point. But that would be my one silver lining. And the one thing that gives me a little bit of hope about the Colts right now. Um, and just the way the way that they're going to have to approach this game. And playing against, you know, a really good defensive line. They're going to be, you know, T.Y. Hilton and company are going to be facing off against some of the best corners that they faced all year. So, yeah, that's I guess that's why my deciding factor here is that I think that the Colts offense will be able to score enough to outscore the Steelers offense. I totally agree. And I think that the biggest strength of the Steelers defense still is their ability to get off to the quarterback. They have, I still believe, the highest pressure rate in the entire NFL. But if you look at the numbers, Phillip Rivers has been pressured at the third lowest rate in the entire league this year, 23.5% of dropbacks, according to Pro Football Focus. They're not going to get after Phillip Rivers in the same way they typically get after most quarterbacks. And if they can't create pressure, can their guys hold up on the back end? On the Colts side, the lack of pressure is a combination of two things. One, Rivers gets rid of the ball quickly. He's done that for the last couple yeah. of years. He's been able to look his line, make his line look better than they are. But when you have a really good line, that also helps. The Steelers have the lowest pressure rate allowed in the entire league, but that's only because Ben refuses to hold on to the ball for more than two seconds because the last thing in the world he wants right now is to get hit. So for the Colts, it feels like their ability to get rid of the ball quickly and the lack of pressure that they allow benefits their offense. For the Steelers, it almost feels like it's happening so fast, it's to the detriment of their offense. And I think that distinction is very important. Yeah, because the Steelers are getting rid of the ball so fast and nobody's getting open downfield that like nothing is happening. No one's even going downfield. Yeah. yeah, I mean, nothing is happening more than five yards beyond the line of scrimmage. So that totally changes what defenses can do and completely playing downhill. I mean, if you decide that the Bengals defense could have done what they did to the, the Steelers on Monday night, I mean, I never would have expected that just personnel wise. The Colts personnel wise are set up so much better than the Bengals were to really do the exact same thing. And I just I just don't see the Steelers being able to figure out any sort of dynamic downfield game in the course of a, you know, six, six days. So I would pick the Colts here. But this is a massive game. I mean, we're going to get more into all of the kind of the playoff situations here. But this game could potentially flip so much in the AFC. So lay it out for me. Some of the some of the implications here, because I have some of them written right, down, yeah. but I'm sure I'm missing a couple of them. All right. So so for the Steelers, the AFC North is still out there. And oh, I know. They're very much at risk of 
losing their control in the AFC North, which is wild considering they were 11 and 0 just a few weeks ago. So the Steelers win this game, they can clinch, they'll clinch the division with a Cleveland loss. So there's a couple things at play here. Um, the Browns are the- playing the Jets, the red hot Jets, but still the Jets. And for the Colts, they can get in with a win and a Baltimore loss or a Miami loss. So the Colts still aren't in. So there's no guarantee that the Colts are going to make the playoffs. But if they win this game, that's that's huge for them. I think the bigger thing is that if the Steelers lose this game, the division is at stake. And there's just so much there for the Bills in terms of moving up into that number two seed. It seems like the Bills have the inside track right now. I mean, the Bills have... yeah. The Bills are playing the Patriots this week, and then they have the Dolphins in week 17. The Bills are in a really good spot. I mean, they absolutely could get the number two seed, and that would be huge because that's the difference. It may not seem like a huge deal this year because obviously the number two seed doesn't get a bye, but that's still the difference between playing at home or on the road in the divisional round. And even if there are no crowds, it's still sleeping in your own bed, having to get on a plane, all of that stuff. You'd still much rather play that game at home than on the road. Yeah, absolutely. The one other just kind of, I mean, maybe fun, nostalgic, I'm not sure exactly what it is, the right word for this matchup is that, you know, it is Rivers versus Roethlisberger. And it hasn't been, you know, Brady versus Manning. But this is one of the coming out of the same draft class, they've played in a lot of really important games against each other which is kind of crazy considering they never were in the same division, but there was an AFC championship game that they played in against each other. And it is kind of wild that we're here at week 16 and we're talking so much about Ben Roethlisberger's massive physical decline and what they're going to do with his $41 million cap hit next year. And Philip Rivers is actually playing great. I mean, he hasn't played great every single game. He's going to get a little YOLO. He's, uh, he's always has the chance that he's going to turn over the ball in the fourth quarter and make some bad decision. But it's just kind of wild that here we are late December of 2020. These guys are, I think Philip Rivers just turned 39 and it's just kind of fun that we're going to get to see one more match with these guys. And we could see them again in the playoffs, which as much as we love the young quarterbacks, it is kind of a fun throwback old school quarterback duel here. It's going to be a lot of old man jokes. And that's fine. Cause Philip Rivers isn't playing like an old man. I joked about it today. I think this year is a huge just notch in the belt for Philip Rivers when it comes to the Philip Rivers versus Ben Roethlisberger versus yeah. Eli Manning debate. I have said forever, and I have maintained this, that I think Philip Rivers is the best quarterback of those three guys. Not the most accomplished, obviously. But if you dropped Philip Rivers onto the Steelers for Ben Roethlisberger's entire career, I think Philip Rivers does as well or better with those teams than Ben Roethlisberger did. I firmly believe that, and I always have. And the fact that now Philip Rivers is 39 years old and is fifth in the NFL this season in EPA per play among quarterbacks, granted against a really bad schedule, but they're 12th in, in DVOA right now and 10th in weighted DVOA. They are playing extremely well offensively with a 39-year-old Philip Rivers. I really do, and, and I said it jokingly today, but I don't, I'm not really joking about it. I think this season and what Philip Rivers has looked like with a short offseason in a new offense at age 39 says it says so much about how good of a quarterback Philip Rivers is and always has been if you drop him into even semi decent circumstances. Yeah, we would have won a couple Super Bowls probably. Uh, I firmly believe this. I and that's Three? why I think Philip Rivers is a Hall of Famer. 
I Can we get Seth Meyers back on the pod to run an alternate <laughs> scenario about what if Philip Rivers had been your quarterback for all of those years? Uh, I have run that scenario in my mind and my heart about a million times over the last decade. So don't worry. I've done it enough for both of us. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. All right, let's move on to who has the most at stake in the NFL this week. I'm going to start us off here. I think it's the Miami Dolphins, and it's for this reason. So the Dolphins right now, according to 538, have a 32% chance of making the playoffs, which seems extremely low. Considering if the playoffs started right now, the Dolphins would be in the playoffs. So those numbers indicate that they believe the Dolphins are going to lose one of their next two games and the Ravens are going to win their next two games, which if you look at the schedules, totally fair. The Dolphins have the Raiders this week who are still a real NFL team despite their shortcomings on defense and they have the Bills next week. Okay, but if the Dolphins win this game and they have one game left there is a real possibility that week 17 will not matter for the Bills. Yeah. If the Titans lose this week to the Packers, if the Steelers lose to the Colts, and a couple more things happen, it's very possible that the Bills have the number two seed in the NFC locked up heading into week 17 against the Dolphins. That game might not matter, and if it doesn't, and they sit, guys, Miami potentially plays the Bills backups, and if they win that game, they're in. It doesn't matter what the Ravens do. So this game against the Raiders is potentially huge to give the Dolphins that sort of setup heading into Week 17. It's not like the Titans losing to the Packers and the Steelers losing to the Colts and all of those things are far-fetched. They absolutely could happen. And I just think that the Dolphins winning this game would go a long way to them kind of flying in the face of the math and making the postseason when it doesn't seem like they're going to. Yeah, I'm just I'm running through some of the 538 
scenario. I absolutely here. could be wrong about that, but in doing the quick math myself, I think that's the case. The Titans are the only because if the if the Bills and the Colts both finish with four losses, the Bills still get the two seed. And if the Titans and Steelers lose this week, they would both be out of the running for the two seed. If the Bills beat the Patriots. It's possible that the Ravens win out and the Dolphins win out and they both are able to get in. It's not kind of an either or necessarily situation. How would that happen? So if the Dolphins win out, they're in. The Colts would have to lose. The Colts would have to lose one more game, right? I think so. Because Because the the Ravens have the tiebreaker over the Colts. If the Ravens and the Dolphins both went out, the Ravens would have an 81% chance of making it. So, so if the Colts lost one of their games, then yeah, then the Ravens and the Dolphins would both be in. Because they have the tiebreaker. Yeah. So there's, it's not necessarily a all or nothing situation here. There are other scenarios, but it is clearly the direct path for the Dolphins to get into the playoffs is to beat the Raiders and not leave any doubt there. And then you get to, and then you get to week 17 and we're going to see what happens there with the bills. The one thing when, when we're talking about scheduling and sitting starters and all this stuff, the Ravens have the giants and the Bengals their next two weeks. So that's really why when you look at the scheduling, the rate, it really plays out into the Ravens favor because look, the Bengals had their Super Bowl last week on Monday night. Yep. That, that they was it, that's that was played biggest. in that's baked into the numbers when you look at the playoff odds yeah. and everything else that's a huge reason that the Ravens have such an advantage over a team like the Dolphins right now because of the schedule that remains but the, theoretically the Colts could still miss the playoffs if they lose to a pissed off Steelers team that would be their fifth loss and if the Dolphins and Ravens both went out which is theoretically possible then the Colts are on the outside looking in which is a real shame because right now I think the Colts are one of those teams that looks like they could possibly give the Chiefs a run. So there is so much shit happening right now. This is the time of year where I just have the playoff machine open at all times and constantly keep going back to it because I can never keep track of this stuff. So our Ethan Douglas, who works on the Athletics Metrics desk, he's a Chiefs fan and is super into all the numbers. He has been doing all of these probabilities and has been coming up with some really great posts that you you guys all need to make sure you're reading about. Um, But it's not just, you know, who has a percentage chance. It's really diving deep into kind of the analytics of how this all works because he is way smarter than either. Well, certainly than I am. I'm going to assume smarter than you are. Oh, too, definitely Robert, smarter than me. Definitely when it, when smarter than me. When it comes to all this stuff. But let's just lay out a couple more of the kind of really at stake. Who could potentially get in this week and what they would need? Cleveland Browns, really interesting. We've just kind of been assuming for a couple weeks that they're going to get in when, since Steve Kornacki told us, I guess, two weeks ago that they had a 97% chance. They would have been in if they would have been able to close out that game. Um, against the Ravens a couple weeks ago. But now the Browns get in with a win and a Baltimore loss, a Miami loss, an Indy loss, or a bunch of tie scenarios. So first of all, they got a win, but then there's a lot of other scenarios where they need one of these other teams to lose. The Colts get in with a win and a Ravens loss. What's really kind of interesting is the Chiefs can clinch a first round bye this week in week 16, which would make week 17 irrelevant for the Chiefs, but they can clinch a first round bye just with a win or a Buffalo loss. So that's just kind of showing of just a couple of weeks ago, they weren't even in that number one seed. And now they're just so clearly kind of ahead of the rest of this AFC field that they could clinch the number one overall seed and the only buy in the AFC with a win this week. Do you want to get into some of the NFC scenarios? Yes. Lay them out for me. I'm excited. All right. So the Cardinals, which would be huge for you in your preseason predictions. Robert. That's right. The, that's all I Cardinals- care about. I'm rooting for predictions at all times. 
All right. Well, so here you go. The Cardinals get in with a win and a Bears loss, which I think at this point you might be rooting for. For several different (laughs) reasons. We'll get into that later. The Cardinals get in with a win and a Chicago loss or a tie and a Chicago tie. So there's a lot of kind of tie scenarios in here, which I think we can kind of assume aren't going to happen. Packers also have a scenario where they can clinch a first round by this week. So they would need to obviously beat the Titans and they would need a Seattle loss or a bunch of tie scenarios, including a situation where they could tie, but they would need the Saints and the Seahawks not to both tie. This is, I did all the tie <laughs> This is way too much. This they, is way they, too much for me. They blow, they blow my mind. But the Rams can get in with a win. And a you Chicago sound like loss. Pepe Sylvia right now. I want to see you in front of a whiteboard with a tie on, just like going insane. I've got my khakis. I've got a little, uh, yeah, I've got my, I'm channeling my Kornacki here. Um, so the Rams can get in with a win over Seattle or a Chicago loss or an Arizona win or tie. The Saints still need to clinch the AFC South. They can do that this week with a win or a Bucks loss. The Seahawks could clinch the NFC West if they beat the Rams. The Bucks can still get in if they win or a bit with a Bears loss. And very interesting, the Washington football team can clinch the NFC East this week with a win over Carolina and with a Giants loss. So as much as we've crapped on the NFC East all year, it's crazy that this division could be done before we even get to week 17. And with a quarterback that is going to likely not be able to play in this game because of his extracurricular activities. So that's great. Well, I think he's got, I think Dwayne Haskins will be able to play. He's been fined $40,000 and stripped of his captaincy as punishment for going to a strip club without a mask on this week, which honestly, even I wasn't going to come out and say it. I was just going to allude to it, but I appreciate it. Oh, you. I'm going to say it. I mean, and look, he's not the only one. The NBA is dealing with this right now. Thanks to James Harden. As James, um, Harden, as James Harden explicitly said today, it was not a strip club. That was his statement on Instagram. So what, what kind of club was it? Unclear. Was he there for the chicken wings? I, I mean, where are we at right now? Look, where I'm just trying to like get Christmas ready for my family and all of these professional athletes are going to strip clubs in a pandemic. Like, could we just celebrate Christmas and not spread COVID and just take a week off of the strip clubs to get our seasons on track? It's great. (laughs) Sorry. So, Lindsay, let's get to our next thing here. I want to talk about the biggest question you have heading into the weekend that's not playoff related. That's not playoff situations related and one team you mentioned and in regard to the nfc playoff picture and the buy and everything else was the saints and my biggest question this week is can the saints offense show me something can the saints offense look like they have a little bit of juice on christmas against the vikings and i don't need to see a ton michael thomas isn't playing still i don't expect them to be this high-flying group but the vikings defense has been fine this season and if they can put up a decent fight against a Vikings team that has a competent NFL defense that will go a long way for me. I just want to see Drew Brees look a little bit healthier and more comfortable over the course of an entire game than he did last week. Because as we talked about with Kat yesterday, I firmly believe that Saints defense is a championship caliber group. They are still capable of dominating on that side of the ball. I just need the offense to be functional in order for them to be a dangerous team in what I believe is a crowded NFC playoff picture. And I think that starts this week. Can Drew Brees look better against this Vikings team than he looked against the Chiefs team? I'm going to be watching that very closely. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. 
It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Okay, before we get out of here, we're going to hand out some Christmas presents because we love schlocky holiday ideas on this show, and I'm not better than any of them. So what are you doing? Let's play Santa. Who are you giving your first gift to? All right, so my first gift is going to Deshaun Watson, who is on the nice list and deserves all of the best things in the world after the year of shit that he's been in for 2020 with the Houston Texans. <laughs> so I want to gift him the best offensive coordinator slash play caller slash head coach that's going to be available this offseason. Is that Eric Bieniemy? Is that Arthur Smith? Is that Brian Dable? Any of those men would be a far better fit than what we've seen Deshaun Watson have to deal with in 2020. And he has been playing basically at an MVP level on the best football of his career with no help. Disaster of a team. He has no help. His receiving core was, well, clearly it was decimated when Bill O'Brien traded DeAndre Hopkins back in March, but it's been continually decimated throughout the rest of this year. And he is still playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So all I want is for Deshaun Watson to be happy, but I want him to have a functional, competent offense. And if we're just like throwing wishes out there, we've talked a lot about a lot on this podcast over the couple months about what the San Francisco 49ers quarterback situation might be like. And let's just see. Let's just see if maybe the Texans might be accepting trade offers. Like call Bill O'Brien. Maybe he still has trade power. There I'm not sure. There's no way you could possibly do that. If, if you're the fan base would <laughs> mutiny if after the year they've had, they decided to trade away with Deshaun Watson, especially because they don't have any path to getting another guy. If they had the sixth overall pick this year, no draft picks. if they had the sixth overall pick, I, I, you could maybe in a somewhat ridiculous scenario, try to convince me that drafting a cheap quarterback and starting over and all this stuff might be a better idea than building around Deshaun Watson. You'd be wrong, but I could understand the thought process. Without that avenue, it's not even a close thing. I'm, but just make the call. Just, oh, of course. You, I just want to see him. I just want to see him. It's your obligation happy. as an NFL executive to pick up the phone. I don't know how far that's going to go. Who ends up with Deshaun Watson is going to be one of the biggest storylines of the entire offseason. And there are a lot of team general manager coach fit questions that will have to be answered here over the next couple months and there are a lot of intriguing ones whether it's trevor lawrence and where he ends up all of that stuff so i think that that's a huge question and i would love to give Deshaun watson the one that would work i don't know what my answer to that is yet i still have to think about it a little bit more all right santa what's yours your first gift the first gift i want to give out i am a jolly bearded man i the first one i want to give out is i want to give the jets a jaguars win at some point in the next two weeks, whether that's even beating the bears, that's fine. If the bears were to lose and the jets were to not, and to get back the number one pick, I would be willing to endure that for the sake of jets fans. Think about in your life, you know, when you lose something that you really is important to you, you ever done that where you lost it and you thought it was gone forever. And then you just stumble onto it. And it's the greatest feeling in the world. Remember I had this, I have this Grantland hoodie that I love that I got when I was there and I thought I was just gone forever and it was somehow dug into the ridiculously dirty back seat of my brother's car and one day he just had it and I was like this is the greatest thing that's ever happened like when you lose your wallet and you just don't know where it is and then 
six you hours later, all your you credit found cards. It. <laughs> this happened to me when I was in New Orleans, which I think that happens to a lot of people. I was in New Orleans. I could not find my wallet. I was convinced it was gone. I looked all over for it, and it was just dug behind the bed in my hotel room. Somehow it had gotten back there. So that's the feeling that I think Jets fans would have if they had resigned themselves to this idea that Trevor Lawrence was gone and somehow the Jags were to win one of their next two games and this could happen and they could get him back. I kind of want that for them. And it's certainly possible. I mean, I think that's like a realistic Christmas gift that you could be delivering here. All right. What's your next one? All right. So for the Chargers, what do you get the team that needs everything? (laughs) Well, immediately, I'm just going to send them like a remediary course in clock management and game management because it has been infuriating to watch the Chargers and their late game scenarios, either their play calling and kind of the the run, 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 run pass when Justin Herbert has been um, playing at a ridiculous level. That's been infuriating. But just the clock management, the end of the game scenarios. So I would just, you know, where there's one one and a half weeks left in the regular season. So Anthony Lynn and your staff, let's just go have like a basics in how to manage the clock, how to use your timeouts, and how to call plays in critical situations for a young quarterback who can really throw the ball downfield and you have some really good wide receivers. So that's what I'm going to give them right now. Long term, I'd love to just give them a complete exorcism, but I'm not sure if Santa is able to provide exorcisms. (laughs) That's that's an entirely different conversation and a very dark horror Christmas movie. All right. (laughs) I want to give Aaron Rodgers the MVP award. Uh, It's a toss up to me. I think it, you could easily give it to Mahomes. I, I'd hear both arguments. I think it's a two-man race at this point. And I would just love to see Rodgers win it. And I don't, I honestly don't think we've talked enough about this. And I, it's, I always feel like an asshole saying that as like a member of the media whose job it is to talk about these things. But when we talk about the Rodgers MVP candidacy this year and him potentially winning it, it is a legacy-altering thing. For him to win the MVP and be the, arguably the best player in the NFL after so many people had left him for dead in the last four years. It changes the way we should talk about him. It changes the way we should think about him. He is, in my opinion, the most talented quarterback I've ever seen before Patrick Mahomes came along. I've made that very clear many times. And him doing this at this point in his career and playing at this level and being this guy again, I think cements his legacy in an important way. I don't. If he wins another Super Bowl, that changes it even in a different way. But winning an MVP... And winning an MVP nine years, 10 seasons after winning your first one, that matters to me. As, as somebody who thinks about the sport and longevity and being a great player, an all-time great player, the best player in the NFL caliber player, 10 years after doing it for the first time, that is important when we consider how we talk about all-time greats. So when you look at the MVP award and the history of that award, Peyton Manning has won it five times, which is more than any other player. Aaron Rodgers is one of four quarterbacks who have won two MVP awards, along with Joe Montana, Steve Young, and Kurt Warner. If he wins a third, it would move Aaron Rodgers into this very small and very elite group of players who have three MVP awards. Jim Brown, not a quarterback, obviously, Johnny Unitas, Brett Favre, and Tom Brady. So when we're talking about, yeah, legacy, all that stuff, Aaron Rodgers, already a Hall of Fame quarterback. That's that's a given right now. I would love to see him get back to another Super Bowl. I just think that would be a, the storylines of Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl, especially the year after, you know, they drafted Jordan Love. All of that stuff. It would be. We a can all agree that Rodgers Mahomes is the best Super Bowl. 
It's the best Super Bowl for the league. It's the best Super Bowl for all of us. That should be the Super Bowl that if you are a casual NFL fan with no skin in the game, that's the one you should want. Yeah, I think so. Although I um, I got asked that question in my mailbag last week, and I said the most like entertaining game could potentially be Chiefs Seahawks because they both played the weirdest that's, games that's fair. ever. That's so some fair. like crazy shit would happen in that game. <laughs> but just in terms of like the best actual offensive football that we would see, absolutely. So you're you're absolutely right about about his legacy and. Look, neither of us have an MVP vote right now. So we can kind of throw all this stuff out here right now about who we would vote for. I think today, if I This still is kind of bullshit, vote, by the way. How do I get an MVP vote? Oh, well, so we don't talk about bullshit here. I had an MVP vote when I worked at USA Today, and I came to The Athletic, and the AP told me that I was The Athletic was a competitor, and they were taking my vote away, which I think is some bullshit. Aren't you the vice president of the Pro Football Writers Association? In a month, I'm going to be the president of the Pro Football Writers Association. So, look, um, your old friend Kevin Clark has started a, a, a campaign to get Chris Collinsworth his MVP vote back. So if we have any power here, we need a vote for the Athletic Football Show, whether it's you or me. I don't here's, care. But here's we need the tough our vote break. I, I hate to break it to you, Lizzie. We don't have any power here. That's the unfortunate part of this. <laughs> All right. One more gift I want to give out before we get out of here. I want... The Browns to win this week. I want the Steelers to lose this week because I want week 17 to be an AFC North championship game, not yes. only for the entertainment value of it, but for Browns fans, because I think beating the Steelers would be such an exorcism and such a symbolic victory for this Browns team this year. I don't know if the Browns can win the Super Bowl. I really don't. I don't know if they're good enough to do it. I think their offense is playing at an extremely high level. I think that if you talk to people in that building, they will tell you they're a little bit annoyed about the month of awful weather they had to play in because they thought this version of their offense had been possible for longer than they've shown it. But I know what it's like to root for a team during a season that feels magical and feels like you have something special and you ride a wave and you get to ride it all the way through. I think this year for the Browns could be their 2015 Cubs type of year where it's the year before you have that really big run where you're a championship caliber team. Baseball and football are very different, but I know what it's like to have to feel like you're on that upswing. And I think this has been a special year for Browns fans and the chance to beat that Steelers team in the final week of the season to really cement this season and everything it's been would be very special and a cool way to end 2020. I also think, and I'm curious what you think about this, do you think Kevin Stefanski should be the coach of the year? I kind of do. Yeah, there was another question that I got in my mailbag this week. And I said that if I had a vote for that, which I still don't, I'm just going to keep bringing that back up. Um, <laughs> I said that I would vote for Stefanski right now. I think there's a couple other guys that have really strong cases. I think Brian Flores has a really good case. I think Ron Rivera has a really Rivera good case. Rivera is the other guy I think that you should put in the conversation. But it, just in terms of just all of like the baggage that Stefanski kind of had to deal with, you know, came in without an offseason, had a quarterback who appeared broken and just years of losing and just the culture and how hard it is to actually change that and to change that quickly, um, especially in your first head coaching job. Uh, it's it's really incredible what he's and with done. With no offseason. And yeah. I think Ron Rivera was in the same circumstances. And I think we should take that into consideration when handing out this award this year, the degree of difficulty it, that was being faced by these guys that were stepping into their first season under these conditions. And both of those guys had. And Rivera, I feel like has a very strong case because that team should be a disaster. That that should be a two-win team. And the fact that they could potentially go 500 or something close to it based on the talent that they have and the expectations they had coming into the season, the uncertainties at quarterback, all of that, it's remarkable. 
he deserves to be talked about with anybody else for the best coaching jobs anyone's done this year. But the Browns are a potential like 11 and 5 team. They could win the division at 12 and 4 if they win out. If the Browns go 12 and 4 and Baker Mayfield, which he is right now, is the most efficient quarterback in the NFL over the second half of the season. That's a pretty strong case for Kevin Stefanski to be the coach of the year. I think it's a toss up right now, but I think his case is as strong as anybody's considering what the Browns have done recently. And that coach of the year award is such a weird and we've talked. I mean, Matt Nagy won it a couple years ago where, you know, sometimes hey, it's the guy hey, who just I don't like I don't like that tone that <laughs> you, you just like took right going? there where, you know, a lot of times it goes to the guy who exceeded expectations Correct. by the most. And it's not the guy who coached the best team. You know, a few weeks ago, you, Mike Tomlin probably would have been in that conversation. But I think Stefanski hits all of it. In terms he does of both. Like the exactly. Actual, yeah. In terms of wins, culture, all of that sort of stuff. So um, I am with you. How fast would the NFL flex Steelers, Browns in a Sunday night football for week 17? I think like, pretty fast. I'd be into it. I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed watching the Browns. They man. probably they're have that email ready to, to go. All right, oh, they're absolutely a fun team. Can I do one more present? Oh, and of course. Is, you, I wasn't in there. Bit, I wasn't ready. So it's a little bit longer term, but we haven't talked about Dak Prescott in a while. And I would love to give Dak Prescott the contract that he deserves, the contract that he should have been given last season. I want him to take every single cent of Jerry Jones's money, and he deserves it. And the Cowboys deserve to pay him above market value at this point for not getting the deal done before for having the him go through the injury that he had to last year. So that's my gift to Dak Prescott is a massive, maybe not Patrick Mahomes level $500 million contract, but I want to see Dak Prescott become the second highest paid quarterback in football. And I want it to happen in March. I'm a bad planner. So there are times where I've gotten people Christmas presents and they haven't come on time. And I've had to just give them like a piece of paper with the order yeah. confirmation in it. That's what Jerry Jones should give Dak Prescott for Christmas. Even if he can't give him the contract right now, <laughs> it's like an IOU four years, 200 million, you know, whatever. Just write it well, in a card, give it to him, have him open it on Christmas morning. It'll be great. He should just forge the postmark on it to backdate it to like March of 2020. There you go. He should have yeah. gotten the contract Perfect. in the first place. So, all right, guys, that's all we got. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Um, if you can't spend it with your family, you know, are, you're in my thoughts. If you can, please enjoy it. I'm going to get to see my brothers and my mom for the first time in months. I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, it's a special time of year. I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you and Lena and Chris have a really nice day. And thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back on Sunday night, as we always are, me and Nate. Until then, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. We'll talk to you guys later. Merry Christmas, everyone. This was The Athletic Football Show.